Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, we are continuing our series called The Battle for Our Emotions. We've talked about the war that takes place within us. Uh, it's an inner war. It's not a physical one. We can punch the enemy. It's a spiritual war, which means God's got to be involved in it. It's a mental war, which means it involves the training, protecting, and conditioning of the mind. And it's also an ethical war. The title we're fighting for is right and wrong. It's not what I want, what I don't want. It's not what's easy or hard. What we're battling for is right and wrong. So, we talked about that. Last week we talked about protecting ourselves. Ephesians 6, the armor of God. And we're not going to go through all those pieces of the armor. But we know that we've got to have that armor on because anytime Satan breaches that armor, that's where he's going to attack and that's where he can hurt us. Now today, we're going to begin to talk about the specific emotions that we all have to deal with. And we're going to begin with one. As a matter of fact, we're going to spend two weeks on this one. Um, it's the only one we'll spend two weeks on. But since it has been termed by a lot of Christian counselors as the single most responsible emotion for a lot of difficulties that we have to deal with in life, I figured we'd go ahead and give it two weeks so that we handle it really, really good. Today we're going to begin by talking about sinless Anger. What is sinless anger? Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. The Bible says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, there it is. How do we change? We've got to change the attitude of our minds. Remember, our war is a mental war going on inside of us. Verse 24, And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, let me stop here for just a second. What Paul is doing is he is addressing the church at Ephesus, and he says, look, we are believers, but as believers, we've got some things that we have to actively be doing every day. Just because I became a believer it doesn't mean that my responsibility and my activity in the Lord stops because I now have my fire insurance policy from hell. There is now more to this than just being saved. He says, so, so let me give you the example of what I'm talking about. Verse 17, before you became a Christian, you lived like the Gentiles, the unsaved people did. Number one, they don't want anything to do with God. Their thinking is futile. The word there means profitless or empty. Their process, their philosophy, everything that they think is important is empty. It's profitless. It means nothing. You live your life like that, you die, and you've accomplished nothing. Your life meant nothing. It, it, it had no purpose. The reason they got that way is because of their ignorance, and the reason they remained ignorant is because their understanding was darkened because they were hard in their heart. When people tried to teach them wisdom, they wouldn't listen. I don't want anything to do with this. 
And so they hardened their heart, and as their hearts got harder and harder, they began to give themselves over to every form of wickedness, which only leads to a lust for more. That's why a drug addict who takes their first puff of marijuana ends up frying their brain on crystal meth. Because after a while, the one puff of marijuana don't work. And there is a continual, as Paul said, lust for more. And that's what the flesh does. It brings us in, traps us, and then creates this increasing lust for more wickedness until it finally leads us down the road that Satan wants us to go down, and that is the road of destroying our life. Paul said that's how they live. But notice what he says in verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. So here's what he says. I'm just reminding you guys that this is what it used, life used to be like. But now you know Christ. And you know that when you came to know Christ, that's not how he wants us to live. So how do we live the way he wants us to do? Well, there's a process. We've got to put off the old things that we struggle with, and we've got to start putting on the new stuff, which is the stuff that makes us more like Jesus. That process is called progressive sanctification. It is the process whereby a little at a time... God works in our lives as we grow spiritually and we mature spiritually through a knowledge of His Word as we obey it and put it into practice. Then we slowly begin to come, become more like Christ. Now, please remember, this is not some great big gigantic boom overnight change. This is not the 24-hour makeover. This is a slow, little bit here, little bit there change as we get victory over little areas of our life for the rest of our life. Then the day's coming when we either die or we're raptured out of here and we meet Jesus and He gets rid of the sin nature and we get our perfect bodies and then we're complete. We don't ever have to worry about that again. But until we get to that point, we've got to go through this process every day. All right? Now, he starts in verse 25 and he says this, Now that you understand, because of what we used to be like and because of what God wants us to be like, there's got to be some changes. Let's talk about some specifics. Verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. And I love this. Paul said, just be honest. Just be honest. There's no perfect people. There's no perfect people. Paul said, I haven't arrived. There are no perfect people. We all struggle. Romans 7, Paul said, the things I don't want to do, I do them. The things I want to do, I find it hard to do sometimes. There are no perfect people. You know, the only way for you and I to get victory in our Christian life and grow in the areas of our life where God is working is for us to be honest with ourselves and with each other. Anger. Do you ever struggle with anger? I do. I got eight kids. I am an increasingly angry man. It just happens. We're human. It happens. And it doesn't do me any good to try and sit up here and make everybody think, well, Bill is the holy and righteous Reverend Crockett, and he never does it. Oh, I bet he never gets mad. Never. Of course I do. And I can tell you this. If the New England Patriots win the Super Bowl, I'm going to be angry. Just kidding. I really don't care. My Tennessee Titans are not even close to the Super Bowl, so I don't care. The truth is, Paul says, be honest. Speak the truth. We can't deal with issues if we don't admit we got them. And we can't admit and deal with them if everybody around us is not willing to help us. Okay? 
Now it gets into some specifics here. Verse 26. Here we go. In your anger, do not sin. Evidently, there's a way to be angry and not sin. We're going to talk about that. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, deal with it. Don't go to sleep on it. Because where is it happening? It's happening right here. You go to sleep, what happens? It rolls around in your head all night long. For some people, that's eight hours. For some people, it's five hours. For some people, it's 13 hours. But it rolls around in there. Your brain don't just go numb. It's working. So he says, deal with it before you go to sleep. Don't go to bed angry. Why? Verse 27. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anger is one of the ways Satan breaches the armor of God, Ephesians 6, where there's a, uh, an exposed spot in my life where he can get his arrows in there and begin to kill me from the inside out. And by the way, it only takes a little spot. And he's a pretty good marksman. He don't usually miss. So, I've got to learn how to be angry, but in my anger, not sin. Well, how do we do that? All right, let's look at this. First of all, what is anger? What is it? Well, it can be defined as hostility. Hostility is simply this. A deep-seated, usually mutual, ill-will, conflict, oppositional resistance in thought or principle, according to Webster's Dictionary. So, what, what is anger or hostility? It's basically a conflict going on inside of me that is normally, normally directed toward another person, sometimes at myself. I'm angry at myself. And it usually has ill will at the base of it. It's not something like, oh, I'm angry at this person. I can't wait to bless them. So it's, it's not usually that. It's usually ill will that has kind of as the underlying theme of why I'm angry. Okay? So that's what it is. Now, in the passage we read in Ephesians 4, there are two verses that use the word anger or rage. There are three different Greek words used in these two verses that give us a better understanding of what anger is in the life of a believer. So let's look at these real quick. First of all, in verse 31, if you'll look at that real quick. Verse 31, Paul says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. There are two words here used, anger and rage. The first one, the word anger, is the Greek word orge. It literally means that underlying settled attitude in my mind. This is not a one-time outburst. This is that anger that got started somewhere, and it's just kind of sitting there bubbling. And it's always in my subconscious, just kind of always working itself around. And then every now and then it gets poked. And when it's poked, it explodes. And that brings us to the second word, the Greek word thumos. It's the word translated in verse 31, rage. It literally means an outburst of anger. It's usually a spur-of-the-moment thing, short-lived. This is the kind of anger I have when I've asked my kids to do something and for the 40 hundredth time they've disobeyed me and I fly into a fit of rage because I really don't have time to deal with this. I'm in the middle of something that is important to me and now I have to stop what I'm doing and deal with this disrespectful kid of mine. And so I get angry and I lose my temper and I raise my voice and say, 
Why can't you just do what I tell you to do? And I'm just playing. You don't really want to see me angry. You say, oh, you do that? Oh, yeah. And then, ten minutes later, after I've the burst has calmed down, I have to go back and apologize to my kid because I was a jerk. Because I was angry and I sinned. I was not angry and sinned not. I was angry and I responded wrong, so I sinned. Okay? It happens. It happens to all of us. Okay? So that's the second kind. The third kind is the one that's used in verse 26, where it says, In your anger, do not sin. The word anger there is the Greek word pyrogismos. It literally means to be provoked. So literally, here's the deal. You and I can be provoked in a way that we become angry, but we can control that anger so that our response is not sinful. Okay? And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. Okay? Let's look real quick. What can cause anger? By the way, this is taken from Dr. Gary Collins' book, Christian Counseling, um, and a comprehensive guide. It's about that thick. And uh, I, I use it a lot when I'm counseling and when I need a reference because he is... He, to me, has a great balance of looking at the medical and the physiological challenges that could take place versus the scriptural principles that have to be obeyed before any of this can be solved. And so he says, first of all, anger can occur when one feels threatened. How many of you either are teachers or you have authority or responsibility over people in your job, and you have asked them to do something, and they rebelled and said, no, I am not going to do what you tell me to do. I think you're wrong. And you got angry. That's because you felt threatened. Your authority has been threatened. Parents do it all the time. We feel like when we're disobeyed, our authority is being threatened. Okay? That's where, and, and next week we're going to talk about controlling anger. And we'll look at how do you take that thought of being threatened and turn it around so that I don't view it like that. I view it from God's perspective. I'm not being threatened. However, there is a change that needs to take place in my children. How do I deal with that properly? Okay? Second of all, when one feels demeaned or put down or degraded. People with low self-esteem, and that, by the way, is one of the emotions we will deal with later on. People with low self-esteem really struggle with this one. Because anytime they are corrected or instructed or called out on something, they immediately, because of this underlying attitude that I'm not worth anything, I'm no good, I'm not valuable, they immediately interpret that as being put down or demeaned or told, I'm stupid, I don't know what I'm doing. When the truth is, and you'll see this when we get to that, when you realize that you are the most valuable person in your body to God, which is why he made you, it doesn't matter what other people think about you. You are valuable to God, and that's all that matters. And you don't need to feel that way about yourself. God made you a perfect person for what he needs to do in your life, and you don't need to feel that way. So that's one of the things that where we'll deal with two different emotions that when you get victory over both of them, It actually helps everything, but that's another thing. And then one, another one is when one is blocked or hindered from progress toward a goal or desire. I had the perfect example of this the other day. How many of you have ever been working on a project on one of them stinking computers, 
and you had a deadline, and you only had a short amount of time to get it done, or you were going to be late, and that stinking computer locked up, and you couldn't finish. And so you spent five hours trying to figure out what is wrong with this stupid computer. It only took you 45 minutes to do the project once you got it fixed, but it took five hours to fix a stinking computer. I spent all day Friday fixing a stinking computer. I had things to do. I got angry. What was the problem? I was being hindered. I was blocked from getting to a goal I had, so I got angry. By the way, this same thing happens a lot when you're trying to get that promotion at work and something happens and you get blocked. Or how about this? When you get married, you got a budget. One of the partners says, I want this. The other partner says, the budget can't afford it. The first partner gets angry. Because the second partner won't let me have what I want. What happened there? You got blocked from something you desired, so you got angry. Okay, That's the concept. And it happens to all of us. All three of them happen to all of us all the time. If I'm going to win, i got to recognize when I'm getting attacked. And this helps us do that. Okay. Now, how does anger manifest itself? Well, there's a lot of ways that anger shows up in our life. First of all, bitterness and hatred. This may be one of the most dangerous forms and probably the most long-lasting and damaging. And we'll actually deal with bitterness later on. Second of all, outburst of rage. We've already talked about that. As a matter of fact, that could very well be a very good resemblance of me on Friday when I was dealing with my computer. Um, The third one, revenge. Question. Is there any time in the life of a believer where God says it's okay for me to get revenge on somebody else? No, never. Romans 12, God says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Period. He's the only one who has the right to do that. When I'm angry, a lot of times that's what I want to do. Revenge. Uh, Frustration. Might have had a little bit of that on Friday too. but and, And this may be the most common way our anger presents itself, is we get frustrated. A lot of times, this is how self-anger manifests itself. I'm frustrated at myself because I blew it again. Okay? And then finally, um, evil speaking or gossip. And I think most of us know what that is. A lot of times we get angry. we got to vent to somebody. I will tell you this, and we'll look at it more um, in detail next week, but the book of Proverbs says that a fool gives vent, full vent, to his anger. You don't want to do that. There are two ways that right and wrong are described in the Bible. Right and wrong and wise and foolish. When the Bible says a foolish person does something, that's not saying it's okay to be foolish, go ahead and try it. When God says a foolish person does something, it means what they do is wrong. You don't want to do that. Okay? And we'll talk more about that next week. Okay? All right, now, what is sinless anger? Let's close with this so that we can get together and share prayer requests and stuff. Sinless anger. I want you to take your Bible. Turn with me to the book of Genesis real quick. Genesis chapter 6. And let me show you some examples of God and uh, what sinless anger really is. The truth is, God is the only example we have of sinless anger. So if I'm going to be angry and sin not, I need to find out what it is God does and try and handle my anger like He does. Okay? So first of all, In Genesis chapter 6, and by the way, um, there is a word missing. You see where 32 is? That's actually Exodus. It's not Genesis. 
Uh, I don't know who was typing my presentation, but it must have been that stinking computer on Friday that messed up. But it's supposed to be Exodus 32 and Exodus 34, okay? Um, but anyway, Genesis 6, this is right before the flood, verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, that every inclination of the thought of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved, good word, that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Two words here that describe God's anger. What is God about to do? He's about to wipe everybody off the face of the earth. Everybody and every living thing, except for Noah, his family, and two of some animals and seven of others. I would say he's probably angry. But you know how his anger is described? He was grieved and his heart was pained. That's how God gets angry. God doesn't get angry, I'm mad at you, I'm going to get revenge. God is hurt by wrongdoing. Notice something else. His anger was uh, aimed towards something that was wrong and wanting it to be right. Okay. Now I'll take your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32. And let's look at another situation where God became angry. Exodus 32, verse number 9. Um, this is Moses gone up on the mountain, got the Ten Commandments. He's up on the mountain, and uh, God tells Moses in verse 7, you need to go down. The people have corrupted themselves. Verse 9, God says, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone. Why? Do the next phrase. So that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, then I will make you into a great nation. God was angry. What was he angry at? He was angry at their sin. And he was angry at the people because they sinned. Anything wrong with being angry at sin? No. Anything wrong with being angry because people are sinning? No. But how did God deal with it? Interesting thing, by the way. I'm going to show you how God dealt with it in just a second. But in... Um, Verse number 11, look what Moses does. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. You know what Moses started doing? Begging God for mercy. Don't kill all these people. God, I love these people. Don't kill them. Now I want you to get the picture. Then Moses leaves the mountain. Look at verse number uh, 17. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing I hear. Man, who's partying? Verse 19. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Now, wait a minute. I mean, we, we, we've only had a few verses here, Moses. God told you a few verses ago he was angry, going to destroy the people. You said, God, please don't do that. Then you turned around and saw the people, and you got mad. But what did you do? God said, I'm just going to correct them. Moses said, I'm going to show my temper. And he broke the law God had given him. That, in essence, is the difference between God's anger and ours. God's anger is governed by his love, his righteousness, his holiness, his mercy, his forgiveness, because God is perfect. We are not perfect. Almost 600 times the word anger or wrath is used in the Old Testament. Almost every time it's in reference to God's anger. God's anger is never condemned. 
Human anger is warned against over and over and over again in the Bible. Why? Because we are not God. And we have a tendency when we get angry not to respond in the right way. And next week, when we talk about controlling our anger, we're going to look at some of the things we do when we get angry that aren't right so that we can recognize them when they start to creep up. All right? Now let me show you one more verse. Turn to chapter 34 and look with me at verse number 6. And let me show you um, what the Bible says about how God responds in his anger. He had given Moses the new tablets, and, here, and he, he's walking in front of Moses. Here's what he tells Moses about himself. Verse 6, chapter 34 of Exodus. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abiding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Here's the difference in God's anger and ours. God's anger, number one, it's slow. It doesn't happen quick. Number two, it involves compassion. It involves grace. It involves love, faithfulness, and forgiveness. Usually when I get angry, none of those words describe anything that's going on in me. The challenge is they ought to. So that's where we got to get, okay? God's anger is simply this. It's governed by His consistency. It's directed toward wrongdoing and correcting it. And here's the key. His anger is controlled by Him. So next week, we're going to talk about how to control our anger. What is sinless anger to us? Sinless anger is simply controlling our anger so that it becomes nothing more than passion and drive to do what's right. Not an excuse to do what's wrong. Okay? All right. Let's have a word of prayer real quick. Father, thank you for your word. Use it in our lives and help us as we deal with this matter of anger. In Jesus' name. Amen.